Hello and welcome to another episode of Speak Your Mind. I'm Sam and today I'm joined by my good old friend. Rustic. Rustic. <laughs> <laughs> we frequently switch out our names, bro. <laughs> yeah, I should probably come up with a um, internet name too. And, what do you yeah. think? What, what should I name myself? I think you should be the Brown Stallion, bro. Or, Brown Stallion. Yeah, <laughs> or Princess Sam, you know. Oh, go nice. Uh, or um, or, or this one. What about this one? Sand the man. Boom. Sand the man. Kind of rhymes. People actually call me that at work. Like they call me Sand the man. It um, rhymes. I'm normally like running like headless chicken. Um, mm -hmm. So they're like, you're the man. Sand the man. Um, yeah. See, not a unique thing, bro. I got you. But, but yeah, um, how's your day been? My day is all good, bro. It's a little tiring, but you know, um, it is what it is. Yeah. Trying to roll with the punches. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should probably tell the viewers that we are recording the same podcast on the same day. And we have recorded one podcast already. And we talked for like half an hour. And then now we're recording another one, right? Yeah, I'm getting a little sleepy, but we'll try to do this for you guys. Yep. He's going to uh, drink five-hour energy. Uh, like, weird thing about me is that I don't drink coffee or I don't drink any, like, sort of, like, energy uh, drinks. Um, so whatever, like, you know, I mean, I hardly drink water, too. So, I mean, I'm, I am I am trying to establish a habit of, like, drinking water because, uh, you know, our bodies are like made up of like water, so it's very important for us to feel those filthy nerves with the water. So, I mean, you know, blood with water. Wait, so um, how so much I'm, water do you drink a day? I it it really depends, but uh, I try to drink like three liters per day. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the most I I drink in a regular basis is probably one or two bottles. Um, and that's even with when I'm like eating or having a dinner or, you know, lunch. Um, like bottles not, as in like the bottles that you get and Target and Walmart, the water bottles? Yeah, the uh, like 50 uh, milliliter, I mean 500 milliliters bottle. Mm -hmm. So you drink like maybe a liter a day? Yeah. How roughly. much blood do you have? Please don't go to donate blood, bro. <laughs> Um, like my goal, like my goal is like at least three, um, three liters per day. Um, and I don't think so far I have been able to reach it because uh, I hardly drink water. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't drink coffee. I don't, I mean, I do drink energy drink, but not, you know, like in a daily basis. So I run, my body basically runs on water or, you know. If Air. I'm in a, if I'm, if I'm in a beer, no, I don't drink beer either. Uh, I hate alcohol. Um, so wait, yeah, water. Wait, wait, so you hate alcohol or you don't like alcohol? I don't like alcohol. Yeah, that's a difference. So right, I don't right, like. Right. I don't really I, hate alcohol. I hate alcohol too. Like it's that yeah, extreme, it's bro. Yeah, is it because? Uh, it messes with your <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> um, yeah bro a big part of it has to do with that and then I don't feel 
you become natural after you drink it. Like, you know, you become somebody else sometimes. And you don't know what's happening. And I like to know what's happening, you know. Because I know you're a prankster, so. I think it takes... Mm-hmm. It takes that awareness out of you and, you know, 100%. like it affects your, you know, like concentrations or your, you know, cognitive behavior. Um, and you know, the worst thing about it is uh, you can't drive. So it takes the best pleasure out of my life <laughs> away from me. Like, yeah. Is that what you do for fun? Like when, yeah. whenever like you get bored, like do you just like drive around? Wait, have I not told you this? I mean, I know like most of the time when I'm talking with you, like you're mostly in a car mm-hmm. or you're probably going to, you know, jack in the box or in and out, uh, 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Okay. So there's three ways that I de-stress when I have too much stuff. I usually, usually I drive for 30 minutes and that just calms me down. Uh, and sometimes I'm driving with like my full music on bro and you know i'm singing ed sharon all that kind of the queen everything um that's one of the ways the other is to like play a video game for like half an hour 45 minutes um and then the other one is to like you know um work out but i'm not doing the second and third so mostly yeah you find me like driving around like randomly around um like near my house like it 10 15 mile radius and then i just drive and something about the cool air like especially at night i'm driving um because i like to de-stress that way something about the cold air it just feels very nice yeah um here's the weird part of like i mean when i'm driving Mm -hmm. um i don't really intake any outside airs i mean right now it's it's kind of cold in uh New York, but um, I don't really take any like outside air, like you know, air. Um, even in like summertime, like because it's it's like very you know, like your car can get very dusty. Um, so for that reason, I don't really intake any outside um uh, fresh air. But I think like that should definitely be uh, you know, like I think it's very really refreshing. Um, especially like when you're driving and getting all this fresh air. Um, I think it's very refreshing. Um, I do love driving too. Like I'm like, whenever, um, I think I, I never get like tired, like I never get tired of driving. Um, I can like drive all day and I can never be like, you know, tired. Um, talking about all these things, um, in today's episode, it's going to be a personal episode. Um, I, is this our like, the um 10th or 11th episode right uh it's our 11th or 13th episode so i think it's about time that you know you guys get to know us better and uh, you guys get to know our background and all that so we have a personal special episode for you guys um rustic why don't you take over yeah um spoiler alert uh, san has had a very rough life he's been a stripper uh he's been to multiple <laughs> las vegas showings so uh be on the lookout for that that's gonna be a tragedy but um today we are going to open up a little bit more about where we come from 
uh, what part we are coming from, what kind of ethnicity we have, what kind of race we are, what kind of life we had literally a few couple of years ago. So we're going to talk about that. So to start off, um, like San and I, we're both from Nepal, right? We're both, uh, we both came to America as a uh, refugee, as a Nepalese refugee. Uh, so basically, our parents. I think you should tell the story. Son. So basically, what happened was uh, um, our grandparents they migrated to um, Bhutan, which is a, a country that's next to India. Because um, I know, like people don't really recognize Bhutan and India. I mean, uh, Nepal. Um, and they mostly recognize India. So I'm basically going to connect all this country to India so that way people know where these countries are. So basically, like, uh, Bhutan and uh, Nepal is, like, country that are bordered by India. So our grandparents basically went to um, Bhutan. Um, they, you know, they they were refugees over there, too. And, uh, I mean, I don't hold, I don't really know the entire story. Because I was not really born in Bhutan, but based on what I heard, um, they were, you know, they migrated to Bhutan, and uh, something happened with Bhutanese uh, government, so they had to uh, escape and migrate back to um, Nepal with their, uh, you know, kids, which is basically our parents, and uh, we basically became refugees. Um, there was. Um, there was like lots of government organizations that were like providing, you know, um, food, um, educations, and all that stuff. Um, we had World, World uh, Health Organization that was like providing uh, food and all that for us. We had um, we had a agency called UNHCR. Caritas. Mm-hmm. Caritas Nepal that was helping us with educations and we also had a UNHCR that was uh, helping us with like other things but um yeah like life in Nepal was a little tough um I mean based on what I remember um mm-hmm. I was you know I was still a kid but it was it was a tough life and it was it was a decent life but tough one um I mean I was not fully aware of my, you know, like I was not fully aware of the, you know, the complexity uh, of the situations because I was still little. But uh, based on what I remember, like my my dad, um, he used to go to work every day. Uh, he basically used to leave early in the morning, and um, like there used to be a time where I used actually used to walk, you know, like an hour or half an hour to uh, go meet with him um, when my school was over and we used to come home together. Um, life in Nepal was a little, little complicated, but at the same time, it was fun. Um, what your life was like, Rustic? So before we dive into my life, because it's been interesting um, as a previous st- a stripper, I'm just kidding. Um, how old were you when you came to the United States and which year was it? Uh, we moved, uh, we came to United States on 2010. Mm. Uh, it was November 16, 2010. So roughly uh, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So yeah. you were 13? 
Right? Roughly, yep. Roughly 12, 13. Um, and this is 2010, so um, I kind of want this to be more like an interview type of thing. So I'm going to ask you things, and then we ask, we we'll try this new thing out. Um, so it was 2010. Did you Did you ever know about the internet? Or did you hear about the internet when you were in Nepal or hear about, I don't know, iPhones or anything like that? Um, no, not at all. Uh, the only phone that I knew was um, Nokia, <laughs> a classic Nokia. Um, it had a like small screen and, you know, like a couple of dials, like numbers. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, there was a couple like complex phone that people used to use um but not like iphones and all that um and i i mean i didn't really have a phone even when i got here i think i had to wait until i was in high school maybe my sophomore year and that's when i had my phone so there was not i was not really i mean i knew like i knew about internet because i actually went to computer literacy class when i was in nepal um that was a Yahoo was actually really popular, like Yahoo mm -hmm. Messenger. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it's you know Instagram, uh, Snapchat, uh, Twitter. But back in then, it was a uh, Yahoo Messenger that was like really popular because uh, we were like you know it gave us like access to um, access to like people around the world. Like we used to be able to um, communicate with people uh, in the United States through Yahoo Messenger. So that was actually popular. Beside that, like I, I don't really had any interaction with like mobile devices or you know like um, iPhones and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And my story is kind of the same. It revolves around the same aspect. Um, just like San, uh, my um, parents were also. Well, one of my parents uh, is uh, from Bhutan, and one of my other parents is from Nepal. So it was a case of uh, two different countries, um, and just like you know, and all the refugees were um, had were fleed from Bhutan uh, into Nepal, and then in the in Nepal itself, uh, we were divided into several camps. Um, so camps are just like small villages and they would be inside, maybe an hour inside, uh, away from the main central, uh, city. So a central city would be an hour away and then the uh, camps would be like, you know, a little bit deeper down. So, yeah, um, a very different life, um, because, I did come to America when I was 15. Uh, I came to America when in 2013. So a little bit later than San, but um, never heard. Well, I had heard about Internet and we did have Internet because for many years, um, because my mom was from Nepal, my dad was from Bhutan. Um, we lived in like outside the camps and sometimes inside the camps. Um because that's how it worked, because my parents would go to work um, outside the camps, because that's the only way that you would get uh, a good 
you know, pay because inside the camps there would be pretty much nothing to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, so just like how San said, like his uh, dad had to go like an hour away from walking or an hour away from cycling. Same way, because the camps were located in a very remote place. Um, Only a few vehicles even went there, right? So there wasn't a lot of work to do. So you had to either just give up your whole life and not work and just you know take the rations uh that who and other you know like uh agencies gave and just live in the camp um which would mostly most times be uh elderly people but young people uh under 40s and 50s would always go out to work um a few hours away so yeah that's how i remember because the reason why i asked you if you knew about the internet, because I didn't know about the internet. I knew that Facebook was there and I did sign up for Facebook, but in 2012, um, I signed up for Facebook and I signed up for Facebook through this. I still remember a Motorola phone. Um, Mm. and it wasn't expensive and the screen was probably about, I don't know, two inches, um it didn't it didn't have any kind of like finger scrolling uh as people had like here in america they probably had like iphone 4 by that time uh we had the keypad like full-blown keypad so i I remember that i remember having internet but i remember having no literacy on internet like uh you would get in theory, how, like, you know, okay, there's Google, there's Bing, there's YouTube. Oh, actually, I didn't know about YouTube. Sorry. So, yeah. Um, you would know about, like, Yahoo, Yahoo Messenger. That was a popular one. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the only popular one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Google. And that's pretty much it. But I don't remember ever going to Google.com. I just that remember... That was my Google Mini that was talking. <laughs> yeah. See, and now we're surrounded with all kind of gadgets. But honestly, yeah. I didn't even know like how internet worked like until I was in America. Uh, yeah, until I was in America. So it was a very different life. How you mentioned that, you know, like you for like majority, I mean, like you used to like leave on and off the uh, camp. Mm-hmm. like. Um, how how was the like life in camp and outside of the camp? Like, what was the difference? Like, did you, you know, like do you have any experience where you have like, you know, uh, were able to like differentiate like to, um, like life inside the camp and the outside the camp? Yeah, um, one of the immediate things that you know because I was always inside and outside of the camps. Um, I realized that camps were uh, a lot less patrolled, right? Because they were we were basically let loose into this jungle and told to like live there. And I can only imagine the generation before us had to like get all these tools together to build houses out of bamboo sticks and muds. Um, so one of the most like impact that you could see is like uh, it's not the most hygienic place, right? It's not the most like 
controlled place where you see there's drainage in America, you see the water runs in a certain kind of way. There's nothing like that. Um, the only thing is like nature. So you're surrounded by this big jungle and you're in the middle with huts uh, made up of bamboo sticks and, and mud. And when it would rain, then it would rain like hell. And <clears throat> you would see like mud and water and soil and uh, all these kind of things. But then when you went out, when you went out to the actual city, the cities would be very different. Um, the cities would be made up of like concrete buildings. The cities would be made up of like good places to go like eat and dine and all these kind of things. But then we were isolated into this like, you know, an hour away from this major city and, and with very poor services. Like even in city, if you went out to the city an hour away from the camps, you would get to have uh, water running into your own like rented house or a rented apartment you you would see these things but in the camps you would have these running taps going to just one place not every house had running water you had to go get the water um so one of these are the kind of things that i uh saw were differentiated in off the top of my head, that's because uh, the Nepal government didn't really treat us as their own citizen. Because as San said, a lot of people who were Nepalese refugees, I'm sorry, Bhutanese refugees, uh, were people who migrated from Nepal to go into other countries. And one of those countries happened to be Bhutan. They went into Bhutan and then uh, they were kicked out of Bhutan because they weren't the citizens there. So the monarchy of Bhutan had to kick them out. But when they were kicked out and they went back to their own origin country, then Nepal didn't welcome us. Um, they put us into an, a very isolated place. Now, I don't want to badmouth Nepal because they did give us a place to live. But you could see a lot of differences in between like the urban cities and between where the camps were located. It was very different. Like even the education system, because I was uh, there for a, a few years, was it wasn't the best. Like in the camps, it was not the best. The teachers weren't the best. There's no qualifications on who would come to teach. Um, I don't know how things were in your camp, but that's how things were in mine. Um, it, it was just different. I think it's one of the most unique experiences that I probably will ever have. Right. Um, I think like it kind of like, you know, makes you humble, um, like looking back and to see where we come from, how, you know, our life style used to be and how it is now um i think looking back you know uh, and reflecting it kind of like makes you humble like oh right now we're in a like great place you know uh you, like united cities known as land of opportunities and you know we're in better place um even right now like the environment in nepal is not really that good like um we only got our constitutions like a couple of years ago like um, that was like constant, you know, like back and forth debate going on when we were going to have a constitution and, you know, what's what's going to be happening with the government. Like the situation, you probably know more 
about you know like this situation in Nepal than I do, since you have actually lived outside the camp. Um, but you know like this, like based on what I have heard and what what I have watched in news, like the situation is in Nepal itself was not very stable. Like there was like lots of crimes. Um, you know, like lots of hate crime and um, all that's happening. Like you know, all this caste system, uh, people fighting with each 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 other and all that stuff. Um, so the situation itself in Nepal was not that good. Um, do you have anything you know, like anything that you can remember based on like you know where you lived? So I lived around the pl- around the time when communism was. Um, brewing in America. So we basically had monarchy system, and there had been a huge massacre um, in the monarchy, where a lot of uh, the previous king had died. So the next king after him would be his brother, uh, and he would take the place. and And things were good until then. But then there was this rise of communism, where um, communists took to different uh, rural villages. And then they started doing prot- uh, protests. And then after that, it came uh, the Democratic Party. Um, they started doing protests again. And then the Communist Party um, and the Democratic Party, they got together. And in between that duration, they overthrew the the king of Nepal, um, his, ma- his majesty. And then they removed him out of the palace. So things were very different. Um when I lived and in just in my lifetime, we were singing. <laughs> I remember this because when I was like in second or third grade that we were uh, supposed to sing this national anthem that had uh, a lot of verbiage that went to like, you know, say king, my king, this king, that. And then only after a few years, it would change to. Um, a different kind of national anthem where it didn't have any king. So it was a very weird transitional place. And even now, um, just like San said, there's a lot of corruption in Nepal. Um, Again, the Communist Party in Nepal, I think, uh, is one of... Actually, let me not say anything. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the the party system in Nepal is extremely flawed. Uh, There's a lot of corruption going on. There's a lot of load shedding that I remember from my time. I don't know if you remember this. So we had a lot of um, electricity that was not there. Again, this is in the urban city, which is very different than electricity in camps because we had none. So I'll Not make exactly. that very clear. Um, uh-huh. We had no electricity. So there there goes another distinction that a lot of urban cities had electricity. A lot of urban cities had running water into the apartments, into the, uh, into the houses. But we had neither of those. Um, and the education system in urban cities was vastly very good than education in camps. Because camps, there weren't any rules, regulation there's no teacher teaching they would assign the best teacher possible but you wouldn't know who like if the teacher had any qualification but like teachers outside of camps would uh in the urban cities would be better again with a grain of salt this is not as good as like we say 
um, education system in America is broken, but it's beyond broken in Nepal, even in the urban cities. So you can only imagine how much worse it was in camps. Um, so it was a very but different time. I think, I think, um, like, you know, I want to add this, like add to the education system. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you come, you know, when you're like urban area, you're basically paying for the education. Right. So you get, what you paid for you'll get the best teacher you'll Absolutely. you know like you'll probably get the best um you'll be probably in the best private school um in camp it was a free the education yeah. by the government so i think you know like they i think like in terms of like you know um like providing that service they did best and it, it might not be the best education but i think they did what he, what they could right but it was like you know it was still something um i'm pretty sure like you know i was able to go to school mm -hmm. um i was able to make friends i was able to like you know um have a human interaction with uh, another Absolutely. my another of my uh classmate have a crush and girl <laughs> yeah. um it was but, very different cuz in urban cities they taught us english it's so funny it's so ironic they taught us english but then they would teach english in nepali right like how does that make sense right um and and again like exactly what you said because education in nepal is not free like since uh, like we do realize that elementary middle school and high school is free here it's not free there so you, you absolutely get what you pay for and there's the different tiers but one of the tiers is that the more you pay you're not guaranteed the best education what you're guaranteed is the best outcome <laughs> in in uh asian countries and this includes nepal is heavily uh dependent on the outcome like board exam of 8th grade uh board exam of uh 10th grade it's highly driven by that so when you would pay for a private quote unquote a private uh high school and you go into it you're not guaranteed the best education what you're guaranteed is you're going to score more than 80% uh and that's good and that's good and and, and you need more than 79% um, i think you need more than 79 or 80% to get into a good um science like you know college so a lot of thing is driven by that like even when i think about things like now i don't see there's a huge distinction between the camp schools and and the urban schools because like really what's the point right you're just paying extra for getting a better score and and yeah and and it's very chaotic i think we constantly slam the education system in america but education in nepal was even worse we but we made use of all the tools that we had right yeah definitely um yeah i think like and the the, the thing about like you know um in camp was we had to learn three fucking language um it was um our mother language which, which was jonka um official language of bhutan and it was uh nepali which was a language of nepal and it was english so we literally had to like learn uh three freaking language and um even though it was not to the best um uh, we still had to learn it and um 
Yeah, um, life in camp was, you know, it was, it was, I, I think like it had a like mixed, you know, uh, positive and negative side to it. Like I'll say like one of the positive thing was uh, probably, you know, sense of belonging uh, to a community because uh, everything was like very close. Like um, we, like uh, Rustic mentioned that we had a hut built uh, right next to each other. So everything was like pretty much closed and um, we used to be like surrounded by neighbors. Um, like everybody was pretty close and there was like sense of community um, or sense of, you know, um, sense of like belonging in um, in that community. So I think that was like one of the positive. I mean, granted, like, you know, all the all community has fights and arguments and all that. And that was, you know, that was that was that was happening throughout the camps but i think that's one of the best thing that camp like gave camp life gave is um that community um obviously like there are like you know other things that comes into play is also like the hatred from the uh nepalese people itself because uh like um people from nepal like some of the people i will not say people from nepal like some of the people from around the uh, camp used to hate the fact that we were literally uh, getting free stuff, that we were literally getting, you know, like um, supplies from the government, and uh, we. Wait, 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 wait! I want to, I want to make a correction real quick. When he, yeah. when San is saying supplies by the government, he's not saying the government of Nepal. Like Nepal what? did barely any support. This is government by a foreign nation. So UNHCR, right. which was United Nations Human uh, Something Resources, right? So we were getting help by foreign nations like United States, Canada, um, like Amsterdam, like other countries in Europe. I want to make that very clear because America, sorry, Nepal did not help in any way nepal right um, yeah thank you for that correction yeah um yeah um so we used to like basically leave off of you know like all the supplies from all the uh, all like this organization from you know like that was helping us from aboard like um even like clothing like we didn't used to like you know uh go to mall every week and buy like fancy clothes you know, um, even the, like the clothing used to be like very rare. Uh, we used to have our festival like uh, every, you know, every year. And that was the pretty much the only time we used to go. We used to get clothing. And most of the time, like, um, like clothing used to be donated from the um, like, you know, foreign countries like United States, Canada. And uh, we used to like get those clothings too, but other than that, um, like basic incomes of normal uh, refugees were basically coming outside of the camp. Like they either used to go to you know um, an hour walking or hour bicycling, and they used to go work and come uh, home in the evening. And that's how like the normal life used to be in Nepal. Like even the um, I mean I'm thankful thankful for all the organization that helped us when we were in camp, but it was not enough. So they had to, uh, you know, like seek for outside income sources to um, reach the inmate, and whether that's you know by going uh, outside and working, or or like you know whether that's um, doing something within the camp, or you know like 
doing anything to like make money uh, because that was not really really that was not really an income uh, stream that was coming to the camp um, other than you know going outside and coming inside um, camp with all those resources. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, it was kind of you know complicated. Yeah, I want to go back to what San said. Uh, specifically about the hatred of a lot of people who weren't living in the camps. Um, and and I've been a victim of that uh, because uh, when I was outside the camps, I, I wouldn't reveal my identity as being a refugee because you get tormented, you would be, get laughed on for being a refugee. Uh, for what reason? I still don't know. Like, I don't know why people would look at... Um, people who had the same origins in Nepal and, and had been, like, you know, um, basically thrown out, kicked out of Bhutan, and then they had to go back to the same country. I don't know why people saw them in a different perspective. I, I still question that to this day. But constantly, when I was outside uh, with my parents and, and I was going to uh, a school in one of the cities, then I wouldn't reveal my, like, you know, identity that my dad was not from Nepal and I'm not from Nepal. Um, so it, it would constantly be that. And I would often listen to a lot of people who had a lot of bad negative comments about, like, people, like, you know, um, just like how, and it's very eerie to just like how uh, sometimes Trump says a lot of negative things about immigrants from other countries. Um, he says like, you know, they're dangerous, they're this, they're bad for the society, they might be like murderers or rapists. Sometimes people would literally say that. Um, and I would listen to that. And, and that's very different. Um, and 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 it's the same people that have the same origins. Like, it's not people that are migrating from a whole different country who have never had their ancestry in Nepal. It's the people who have had ancestry in Nepal. And people saw them with a different light. And even Nepal government, even when Sen was saying uh, we had rations of like sometimes we would rarely get rations of clothes, but we would often get rations of food. Uh, we would get rice. We would get, uh, how do you say, dal lentils. <laughs> we would get these rations from foreign nations, um, but most of them were from foreign nations. Uh, the only place, the only thing that Nepal government gave is a land you know pretty much in a jungle and i don't know why the government saw uh people in that perspective and i still question that today so it was very different it was very chaotic i knew a lot of uh teachers who were also um Bhutanese refugees and there was a very distinct differentiation between a Bhutanese teacher and a Nepali teacher. How, you ask, is the education system in Bhutan was way superior to what the education system in Nepal was. So the Bhutanese teacher would have a, a really good English. And a lot of uh, like schools in Nepal wanted to have teachers who had very good English. Because, again, we're talking about a third world country. Um, where, you know, education is not so prioritized. What is prioritized is um, qualification and how much connections you have. 
So uh, schools would constantly ask for teachers who had very good, um, you know, uh, the way of talking, the way of writing, the way of reading things uh, in an English manner. Because, again, private schools, they want to get your money. They want to have the best teachers. So you would constantly. So I found like three or four of my teachers like outside of camps uh, who were Vatanese refugee. And I still talk to them now. But like neither them or neither nor I would say it to anybody else in the school, but we knew by ourselves. So there was this weird um, distinction between Nepalese and like you know Bhutanese refugees, us, and I think it's still like relevant there because again, there's a lot of people who've not come to foreign countries and they've decided to just stay in the camps. Um, and I, and I think the tension between, uh, the people there and people a bit outside the camps are, are still there to some degree. And I'm sure a lot of people still think the same way. Um, why again, I don't know, but it was very different. Um, but yeah, anything to add to that, Sen? That's what I don't understand is that, you know, like we are, you know, it's not like we are like totally from different country, you know, like we were migrated from Nepal to Bhutan and um, for some reason, Bhutan government decided to kick us out. So that's what I don't understand about Nep- Nepalese government is that that they didn't show any sort of responsibility towards us. And we had to, you know, leave. Um, we had to like survive with the help of like all these foreign organizations. And um, the only thing that, you know, like you mentioned, the only thing that Nepal government did was provide us the land. And I think like still to this that day that um, the go- like Nepalese government hasn't uh, seen um, all these Bhutanese people as their own, uh, even though they're technically from there, their ancestries from there. So, do you think like is there like any uh, political reason behind like that like why they even till this day that they don't you know like have any they don't show any sort of like remorse or you know like any so, sort of like responsibility in terms of like you know acknowledging acknowledging that these are our people you know like even though they have gone to other you know like other country another country for like couple years and came back these are still people like is there like any like logic do you think there's any like logic behind that absolutely not all the logic literally goes out of the window um and i don't think it's politics because it never got brought up in any of the political seminars by any of the like not the communist party of nepal not the democratic party of nepal not like none of the party ever brought this topic up now With that being said, I have my own theory and I'm a man of theories. So I think I think the reason why a lot of people hated us and a lot of like Nepalese government didn't want to do anything is because there's a class system in Nepal where there's people who are like, you know, there's Brahmin, there's Chetri, there's Boisha, there's Sudra and people have their own roles in the society. But beyond that there's another thing 
and that's the lower class, the middle class, and the upper class. Pretty much the upper class does nothing. The upper class has nothing to do. They don't do anything. And then there's middle class. So there's always a tension between these middle class people and the lower class people. Now, lower class people don't have any assets, right? They live in huts. They live in tents. They live in bamboo houses. And middle class people are, are the people who you know who have concrete houses they have running water they have like uh electricity and all these amenities so i think um with the poor condition of nepal um the middle class just wanted to thrive by itself like you know they didn't want to like the only thing because things were going so bad they the only way they could comfort themselves is by saying, oh, we're not the lower class people. We're not these people that have to go and do manual labor. Like we can still have like we still have like ample amount of farming land or we still have an ample amount of houses that we can sell and we can feed our children and their children, children. So the only thing to point was to do manual labor. Um and I know this personally because a lot of people used manual labor like of people to do a lot of like other people's tasks. So at a time like that, at a time where, you know, there's dowry system, where there's caste system, um, where there's a big clash between a lower class and an upper class people. And, and sorry, yeah, the lower class and the middle class people. I think middle class, the only thing that a lot of people in Nepal really had going on was the middle class were laughing at the lower class people. Like we were pretty much the same as uh, a lot of like people in Tarai who uh, like, you know, were living in bamboo huts, who were living in like mud houses and people just wanted to have a laughing stock and who to point to then refugees who don't own land who don't own anything and they've just been kicked out of uh, the country that they were living in. So I think that's what happened is the pride and dignity and all this weird cultural stuff that just got into, into the way. And a lot of conservative ideas surrounding that just made accepting almost impossible for for these middle class people who were already living in Nepal and so they had this ego that was hurt by like you know by them by by the people that were coming from Bhutan to Nepal and they were already pissed that you know they're they're they might take their jobs they might take their like you know daughters they might take their sons they might like, you know, take a lot of jobs away from them. And the only way to comfort that was to dominate. And how do they dominate is they put people into a jungle uh, an hour or two hours or sometimes three hours away from a known city. So I think that was just frustration and they just wanted to show dominance. What do you think about this theory? See, that seems like a Trump tactic to me. <laughs> it's uh, like <laughs> Trump tactic. Um, that's an interesting theory. And, and I think it kind of makes sense too. Uh, the fact that uh, most of the, um, you know, like the camps were like far away from all the major uh, cities, um, you know, like nearby the jungles, um, pretty much like 
out of like you know near nowhere uh basically surrounded by jungle that's an interesting thing theory like uh i like that i think that's a you know very valid theory too um that they just wanted to show their um you know um they're like more superior they're more dominant um you know they have like more wealth than um them or they just needed someone to like you know um look down to and they found uh those in refugees and that's that's probably why they couldn't you know like have anything good to say or like have anything to like you know um do for the refugees and i'm not saying all the people from nepal were like this um there were like good people you know like there were there were um good people that wanted to help um refugees in nepal um there were like you know our um village neighbors that actually helped us um in terms of like you know um vegetables and all that uh but like other than that like there was mostly like tensions between you know the refugees and people uh around the camp and the funny thing was normally like most of the time um you know like people from camp they used to buy stuff from the villagers that was surrounding the camps and that's how they're um you know like that's how they used to make money is from the people i couldn't hear what you said oh, shut up siri i agree um, with that yeah please go that's that's how you know like they used to make money and they still used to hate us um which is probably you know maybe to like put us down or you know show that they're more superior than us um that's a valid theory and i completely agree with your theory um but you know um i'm i'm just like thankful for all those organizations um that helped us and uh you know like showed us you know gave us um place to live um gave us you know like rations and all that rice uh vegetables and all that um yeah you know one of the most ironic thing in this and i've come with that theory for the last like i don't know 10 13 15 years but one of the most um and i don't hate people i don't hate people from anywhere i don't hate people we understand people had uh their own kind of responsibilities and their own kind of um stigma attached to them right it doesn't matter if they're Bhutanese people or people uh, like us who had to go from Nepal to Bhutan and then come back or people from Nepal and Nepalese people. Uh, I don't hate any of those. They had to do what they had to do. But one of the most ironic thing, and this makes me laugh every night, is um, a lot of people in Nepal wanted to have a good life. They've always wanted to have a good life. They still want to have a good life. And the way to do that was to go to a foreign country right um because there wasn't a lot of jobs there you constantly needed to have connections circles with top tier people to get into jobs even as simple as like in a bank or in in a government job that you needed to have circles you need to have some kind of a relationship with higher level people to get and most of the middle class people the only way to bypass that i'm sorry 
The only way to bypass that was to go to a foreign country. And they would often try to go to places like Canada, places like America, places like Australia. And most times they would get rejected. And they would have to go to these really labor-intensive uh, countries like Qatar, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, and then make money and send money back. But And here's the ironic part, is that they've always tried to come to America, they've always tried to come to like you know Canada or Netherlands or Denmark or uh, Australia or any of these countries, but the probability has been always low. But the people that they hated, uh, the people in camps... And it's a it's a thing of fate. And the people that they absolutely hated couldn't stand, uh, and this is only a few people, absolutely hated, got a lottery basically system that we all came to foreign countries that they wanted to come to. We came to America. We came to um, Canada. We came to Australia. We came to Denmark. We came to the Netherlands. And now the way that people see and this is very different because I still have friends in Nepal. And now the way that people see um, the Bhutanese refugees that came to America is a very different kind of thing than the way that they used to see us back then. Back then, they were the, they were the oppressor. We were the oppressed. But now they see us as a ticket to go to a foreign country. Literally. Because I've seen a lot of... Um, uh, like, you know, girls or guys trying to come to America, uh, you know, and, and they try to, like, you know, marry a girl or a guy from here. And that's how a lot of people come to America nowadays. So that's that's very ironic. What do you think about that, Sam? Yeah, it is. They're basically taking advantage of us. And, uh, and they hated us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the sad, you know, the sad part about that is like lots of people are being victim of all this fake shit, you know, like this fake relationships, um, and all that. And I think that's the, that's the sad part. And yeah, like it's, it's ironic. And the fact that, you know, we get to like come here, um, um, in a like legal way and they have to like go through that shitty path like you know either faking relationship or having a fake marriage um that's you know that's i think that's a very ironic and perfect uh perfect situation for that because in like you know like for entire those time they did not acknowledge us as their own and now all of a sudden when the doorway opened for us here are they you know opening their hands and you know like trying to um, fake relationships and come to the um, all these foreign countries. Um, I want to like talked about you know um, since your you know like dad was from um, you know Bhutan and your mom was from Nepal. Like, what was the difference like growing up? Like, how was it? This might be very like personal question to you, and if you don't want to answer, that's totally fine to you. Like how how was uh, growing up? Like how was the um, household environment for you? Um, okay, I'm gonna go into a very shallow depth with this one, 
because I think yeah. it would require a lot of time and uh, a lot of storytelling to say um, my my entire past. Um, and I think I'm going to save this for a good uh, speech someday uh, in a school, something like Steve Jobs did. Um, but basically, I was uh, I was very accepted in both the communities because uh, uh, when we lived outside, then, you know, because my mom was uh, Nepalese, uh, so everybody thought my dad was Nepalese too, and here I go, automatically a Nepalese. So people never had the whim of um, thinking that I was a refugee. So we never had to, most times, we never had to deal with that at all. So I was accepted into the Nepalese community just because they thought that I was one of them. Um, and here I was, like, and I was also accepted in, into the camps, too, because we would often regularly visit because most of our families would still be in camps. They would still live. Um, most of my cousins were, like, there, and most of my, like, you know, uncles and aunts and all those, uh, everybody, like, from my family were still there. So still get us accepted into, like, the camp uh, life, so... Um, it, it was very good, but there were some bittersweet moments where, um, because of my, uh, family past, uh, a lot of relationships didn't just go well, but the relations, uh, that I had in specific to like, you know, friends, uh, or like myself, like me being friends with other people, I was very accepted into being into any friend circle because I would instantly get like, you know, accepted because if you go to a camp, then you make a lot of friends in camp because uh, you're a Virginian camp um, and you can't run away from that. Right. Because you've lived there. Um, and if you go to the Nepalese friend circle, then they just think you're a Nepalese and you just shut the fuck up and that's how it, it would go. But, uh, growing up, um, it was basically a double life, right? You would have to live a double life and, uh, make sure that, you know, these two lives doesn't cross path, um, and that's what you would hope for. Uh, actually, that's all that you could do is to hope that these lives didn't cross paths. But very well accepted into both the communities. I, I felt very welcome into like the refugee uh, community because I was always a part of one. I never felt like I was excluded from that. But constantly I would feel excluded from the Nepalese community community because here I was uh, not telling 100% truth of who I was and people were liking me for me who wasn't me, if that makes sense at all. Um, so it was very, it was very unique. Um, if you were to ask other relationships... It's a very different story, and uh, I think it's better to be left for yeah, another day. If, if you don't want to answer, it's totally fine. I completely understand. Um, yeah, like life in you know, like Nepal was like very interesting. I think like those moments were like probably like the best moments. Mm -hmm. um, like even looking, reflecting back, um, even though you know, like we didn't have enough food or enough, um, you know, like 
wealth or enough um clothing i think those were like uh you know like some of the best moments because we got to like experience um you know um even though like there was like lots of hardships um i think um uh, we got to like you know grow together as a community or you know like grew up together as a um you know like in a circle of group of friends and basically help each other um you know like whether that's you know um trying to like make each other feel better or trying to you know like help them each other grow um i think it kind of like you know um give different perspective to the life um i don't think like if it wasn't because of um our you know um life in nepal i don't think we will have been able to be humble or you know like appreciate the life um that we do right now i mean right now like i'm i don't i i try not to take things for granted because we didn't had all these things in back in nepal like we we didn't had a phone with us we didn't had literally like n- not much like we used to live in a limited resources and right now um we're in a country where you know like there's like lots of opportunity opportunities and you can you know like literally um get to what you want and you shouldn't take those things for granted because you never know what's going to happen you know you you might lose all these things all at once um life is very you know like it it can be tricky and you should like appreciate all the moments um and i think like um like i i'm i i hope like i'm saying like i'm speaking <laughs> on behalf of you too is like when i say this is that you know we should be um thankful for all those moments and i think those those time showed us you know um and set us in the right path to the life um where we can be successful and where we can you know like look for a better future absolutely that was very well put um i couldn't agree with that more uh, because all the people that i hung out with in camps like even though most of my friends in camps are now in different cities and now in different states and we never met after we relocated to a lot of places like some of them went to the netherlands some of them went to canada some of them went to denmark some of them went to um like here but in different states but one thing in common that i see in every every one of my friends who lived in camp is they're extremely humble like you know like you and i someone like you and i who's lived like you know 10 or 12 15 years in nepal has seen the drastic change like uh, kids now might not realize that and but a lot of older folks do realize that and and do realize that you know hey if we're in, if if we weren't uh, brought to america then we would probably be living the same kind of life with probably no internet with probably no macbook pros uh with probably no computer no dual screen no nothing no house no ac nothing we would be living the same life um i can guarantee you that i wouldn't be able to use a lot of gadgets that i use now and i definitely don't take that for granted um even when i'm using my phone like the fuck bro 
you can't live in Nepal and um and use a phone that cost a hundred and fifty thousand dollar a hundred and fifty thousand uh, Nepalese rupees there uh you can't you can't do it um you can, to get a computer it would be so expensive it would be thirty forty fifty thousand uh, dollar rupees to get a computer so constantly I'm reminded by that and even when we're talking about that in the podcast I'm constantly reminded of a lot of things that we take here for for granted like driving a fucking car man like that's one of the biggest things that always hits me like if I were in Nepal like a lot of our father or our grandfather drove bicycles and to go from a bicycle to a car it's a big jump a lot of people in Nepal still now who've worked for 20 30 years haven't been able to make that jump haven't been able to have only been able to most of them have only been able to make a jump from a bicycle to a bike which costs like 150,000 so again are you going to buy that bike or are you going to buy that iPhone so it, it's a very different life there is very different in um, I'm pretty sure I uh, am talking on behalf of you too that we both don't take this for granted. Um, internet has changed and revolutionized a lot of people. Um, you don't need education. You don't need um, anything. You you just need a specific kind of skill set that you have to grab these opportunities. And, and I think we're both going to be eternally grateful for America and for the other nations that gave our rations uh, during time of need, that gave us, even um, Nepal, that gave us a place to stay. Um, because had they kicked us out, then I don't know where we would be. I don't, I don't know where we would be in India or China or some other country. So I'm constantly reminded by that humble nature. And, and a lot of people uh, from the camps are, are the same way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I still remember like um, every day my dad, you know, like used to wake up in the morning and, you know, like walked hour to go to a job. So that way he could provide us, um, you know, he could like provide us with the, um, you know, like the extra income. Um, and the fact that, you know, like I have a car now, uh, you know, I never thought that was possible. Like when I was in Nepal, like. The fact that we have a house now, you know, the fact that we we don't have to like, you know, like we have all the necessary stuff that we need. We don't we don't take those for granted. You know, it's a blessing um, coming like looking back the way it was. And right now, like it's a it's a completely different life. And I think, you know, coming back from, you know, like that background that we lived in a camp where we were refugees. Um, I think it it shows us, you know, like a uh, different perspective of life and um, we shouldn't be taking this for granted. And I will, you know, like the fact, you know, that we, I, I think like I will always remember, um, you know, like our past so that way it never, you know, like push us in a like wrong direction. And we have that strong past that can always, you know, be with us and guide us in the right directions. I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. Yeah, um, but you're absolutely right. 
Do you have any uh, final thoughts? Um, let's see. Up until we talked about education, we talked about that. So I think um, before we leave, I think we should talk about how um, how things happen with UNSCR, how things happen with IOM, which is International Organization of Migration. Um, like what year did you start kind of noticing, oh, I, I might be relocating from uh, Nepal to a different countries. And what made you decide that, you know, you and your parents decide that you want to relocate to like a place in America? So based on my observations, I think it kind of started on uh, 2008. That's when um, all this, you know, like, the process of uh, migration, you know, like started and the uh, organization that was, you know, uh, was basically called IOM, um, International, nope, is it International? Yeah, it's International Organization of Migration, I think. Yep. So they basically um, helped us uh, bring like lots of families to different um, countries. So that was, I think, seven countries uh, that was... Canada, America, uh, UK, mm-hmm. uh, New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Denmark, Denmark was also right. one of the countries. And then Netherlands. Uh, and Netherlands, yep. So those were the countries that we had. And we basically had to go through this um, almost like six to nine month process um, where they will basically do medical examinations they will do orientations on how life in the foreign country will be and all that. And um, that's how, you know, like the process started. Uh, Personally, for us, um, we kind of thought about, um, so the camp that we used to live in um, back in uh, 2009, I believe, that was a huge fire um, that basically wiped out uh, pretty much like 90% of the camp. Which and, camp? Which camp? Um, Golab. Mm-hmm. So the camp that I, uh, I'm from is um, called Golab. Um, it was near uh, near one of the uh, major cities. And there was a huge campfire uh, that wiped out pretty much like 90% of the populations. Um, so that's when the moment really started is that People, I don't know, like if people felt hopeless or you know they they thought that it's time to move on, and they you know like they 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 jumped into that you know like opportunity of like going to like different foreign countries for the better betterment of their you know like children's futures or their futures. And personally, for us, um, it kind of like we kind of like made the decisions based on, you know, like everybody was going to, you know, like um, different like countries. And we were hearing like different, you know, like lots of good things from the people that like we had um, our like couple of relatives that came over here and we used to like talk to them in a, you know, like in a monthly basis. And they were like saying good things, um, you know, like about the country that how great it was and how it will be for, for our you know, for the, for us, um, so that's when we thought about it, and we basically applied for the process. And I think for us, it took like six months. And um, after after that, we 
basically through the help of um, IOM and UNHCR, we basically uh, landed over here. What about you? Like, what was your what was your like thought process uh, when you guys uh, decided to come to the United States? So same as you, I think uh, the process began around like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, like you know, you the first step was like to get your name down, and I would remember this. Um, like you know, all my family members were there, and then we were taking pictures of, um, and then yeah, that's the first thing that I remember. And then for a brief period of time, pretty much from like two thousand and eight to up until two thousand, like mid of twelve, nothing happened with our case because it was very complicated. Because again, my one of my parents uh, was from Bhutan and one of my parents uh, was from Nepal, so it was very complicated, and that's why it was called like a mixed marriage situation. And those were more complicated than people who, like, you know, basically um, lived in, like, camps the, the entire time. Uh, people who were both, I should put this in this way, who were both uh, from Bhutan had relocated. So it was much lengthier in that process. But we knew that we were going to, like, you know, go to a foreign country. But we didn't know for certainty. Um, but one of our... Um, uh, cousins one of my cousins and one of my dad's uh, cousins had come to America in Dallas uh, in 2008 because again uh, his uh, uh, my dad's uh, brother's situation wasn't as complicated as ours because they were both from uh, relocated from Bhutan to uh, the refugee camps and both of them were uh, like you know Bhutanese um, so it wasn't as complicated. So their process happened in about four, five, six months and they came over here and then we would just like you, we would talk to them and we would, uh, listen to these great stories about like, you know, how life in uh, America is and how life in America has changed them. Um, we would talk about like a lot of things. Um, one of my cousins, uh, who's about to get married, um, is, you know, he became really choppy because he was eating so much food. And we were seeing like, I don't know, small things like this meant a lot of things. Because when you live in a world where even food is rationed um, every week, then some, even small pleasures would be different. Uh, indoor plumbing, you know, water every time that you wouldn't have to go to a certain spot to get water from. Uh, these things are very like big and uh, healthcare, right? So um, a lot of these factors kind of came into calculations, and uh, I think one of the biggest factors I think my parents wanted was a place for good good education and a place for opportunities, because we we knew that Nepal, in order to have, uh, in order to be in a better place, you had to either have connections or you have to have a lot of wealth. And we're refugees, so none of that was happening. So the best way was to relocate. And that's why we relocated. So uh, it took about four years. But uh, we came to Dallas and, yeah, we came through the same organization, IOM. Pretty much everybody came through IOM, but uh, different um 
Like, you know, there were people from Catholic Charities. There were people from, like, other uh, places that came through, like, different organizations. But pretty much the same story. The only difference was um, it took us a little bit longer because of our complicated family situation. So, but, yeah. Overall, in America, um, I think good life and good education um a lot of opportunities for sure and probably a lot of burgers which probably attracted us you know and lots of masturbation oh yeah yeah plenty of that i know sand did that as soon as he dropped from the uh from the big plane here um it was it was very different um yeah I can yeah. only imagine the people that live in camps still now, right? Yeah, I heard it's uh, pretty bad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's our story. Um, thank you for you know listening this far. And uh, if you guys enjoy this podcast, do give us a review. Um, please give us five. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's our story. And sometimes it's good to like, you know, reflect back and see where you come from to see where you're going to be heading. You know, like it's always good to like reflect back and uh, see what, you know, like how how things were and how things are. And I think that's that's the beauty of life is that, um, you know, things always are not always same and it constantly changes and reflecting back is always a good habit and um i'm you know thankful for all the things that have been in past or you know all all my lives in uh refugees camp um yeah yeah that's very well put i'm very grateful and thankful as well and i think there i gave a lot of the same kind of speeches back in high school too um that you know we didn't have the internet we didn't have computers and and the goal is to try to expand that to every nook and cranny of the world um and now the new computer is the internet so trying to expand that and, here's something and, i found on reference.com okay <laughs> computer can you stop <laughs> also sometimes the computer does go very crazy so uh Hopefully yeah. they're not listening. Um, but yeah, the, the hope is that to translate some some big idea, right? To mm -hmm. make something out of this opportunity. Because I do realize at the same time, a lot of people don't get the same opportunities that we did. Um, a lot of people are still struggling now. Like, you know, when Trump was around, people were struggling. Uh, because a lot of people didn't have you know the right documents and all those kind of things but we'd never had to worry about that um we just became american citizens because uh, america basically pretty much adopted us <laughs> so i'm very thankful for a lot of those things because we've never had the trouble um uh, of like going through a lot of those things and um the only thing that we can do is empathize uh, and a lot of people, the only thing that they can do is empathize with the people that live in camps, um, not just in Nepal, but in different parts of the world, because yeah. there's many refugees that are still out there 
So hopefully when you listen to a story like this and and you want to check something out and you want to see how things are in different places of the world because it's not a case of just Nepal not having internet, not having indoor plumbing, not having clean drinking water, not having good education. It's a place that is, it's a, it's a repetitive story in many countries with the same kind of refugees that have been either exiled or they've been kicked out of a country and, and they're living on a foreign land with barely no hope and they have to walk or run or or cycle an hour or two hours just to get to work just to feed their own family so hopefully this sheds some light on that situation and and uh, we sincerely we hope you check something out we're going to probably put a link in the description for you to check out um and if you can go ahead donate uh yeah right we don't even ask for ratings a lot so please do rate san on his only fans uh rate him five or above though you know uh, <laughs> even though his package is less than five <laughs> and below <laughs> but yeah anything but yeah, to add uh, thank you guys for you know like listening and uh what i will say is that you know um appreciate what you what you have and uh always stay humble and you know um be grateful for what you have because um some people will literally die to have what you have so exactly. always be grateful and um you know stay humble stay foolish uh quoting steve drops here um steve but yeah that's it thank you so much for listening and we'll see you into the next one peace